Good afternoon. This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, December 3rd, 2021. I'm Kyle Kellams. Ahead this hour, a mint in West Fork, where official coins for the Game of Thrones franchise and more are created. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore has that story. Another day of increases when it comes to COVID-19 in Arkansas. The Arkansas Department of Health yesterday counted more than 1,200 new cases of the virus, the highest single-day count in weeks, the third consecutive day with at least 900 new cases. As a result, active cases in the state number more than 6,500. The ADH also reports six additional deaths and a net increase of nine hospitalizations. In Oklahoma, more than 1,600 new cases were diagnosed in the most recent 24 hours of testing. The new Greenhouse Outdoor Recreation Program will be led by Phil Shellhammer. The University of Arkansas Office of Entrepreneurship selected Shellhammer to head the project that's housed at the Collaborative in Bentonville. He has an engineering degree from the University of Cincinnati and an MBA from Harvard. The program is designed to provide broad, small, and startup business support for outdoor recreation entrepreneurs. Average gallon of gas in Arkansas, two and a half cents cheaper than this time last week, according to GasBuddy.com. The survey of more than 1,800 gas stations in the state places the average gallon at $3. This is Ozarks at Large. With me on the phone from his office in Fort Smith is Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics. It's been a couple of weeks since we talked, Michael. Welcome back. Well, it's good to be back. Thanks for thanks for having me. All right. Let's start with some record-setting years, at least one for sure, one probably a, record, a record-setting year for building permits in the Fort Smith metro. Yeah, again, and we've talked about this coming out of a pandemic, who would think, but uh, through the end of November... Um, the building permit values in Fort Smith, uh, Greenwood, and Van Buren, the three cities we look at, totaled 301 million, just a little over 301 million. That's up almost 22% compared to the same period last year. And it also beats the record. Uh, there was a record set last year during a pandemic year of 264.7 million, almost 265 million. So we've already blown past that with another month to go. So um, uh, you know, it's just, again, we've talked about it, the function of demand, the function of low interest rates. And I think there was some, uh, kind of a little bit of slowdown there in March of 2020 for a few months, people just trying to figure out what was going to happen. And some of that demand is being, is coming back into the system. Uh, in Fort Smith through November, the city's, um, building permit values are 257 million. That's up almost 18%. Uh, compared to the previous year, uh, in Van Buren, their permit values are up almost 34, or, or their permit values year to date are 34 uh, million, almost 34 million. That's up 67 percent compared to the same period in 2020. Uh, and in Greenwood, their permit value is almost 10 million through November, and that's up 15 percent. So, healthy increases um, in all of the cities. The only caveat, and it's not a major caveat, Kyle, I'd put on this, is some of these values could be driven higher because of uh, construction costs or um, some construction costs, not all, but, um, you know, we've been told anecdotally concrete, lumber, obviously, um, uh, some metals, steel, um, the value of those are higher. So 
some of this increase could be reflected uh, in that, you know, where maybe last year that $200,000 project, now it's 225000 for the same project because of the increased cost. And I'm just using numbers. So some of that increase could be attributed to that. But when you have, I think, over a 22% increase or a close to 22% increase through November with the month left, I, I think that clearly shows significantly more activity and not just a function of higher costs. You know, and what surprises me is because there have been supply chain challenges. I know people getting their houses painted. Sometimes there's been delay because paint is one of those products that has been stalled for a bit. But even with supply chain challenges, it's a record year. Yep, it's a record year. And and keep in mind, though, the the one thing that I always have to keep in mind, and maybe I don't stress this enough, is that, you know, these are projects that are permitted in a certain month. They're not necessarily completed in that month. So to your point, it could be that, these projects, I may permit it in October, and typically I might finish it if it's a commercial project, you know, nine months later. But because of the supply chain challenge, that nine-month project could be an 11-month or 12-month project. We're seeing that, in fact, with the Peak Center that's being built, the Fort Smith School District building that in Fort Smith. Because they had some folks who probably shouldn't have been managing that construction process early on, didn't take good advice and do take more action to fix the roof. They're having to work on the, fixing the roof now, which has delayed the project because they can't get the materials in. If they had ordered those when the problem was first raised, they'd have the materials in. But So that's an example of what you're talking about, about supply chain. And yeah, it, it can delay um, projects, both residential and commercial. All right. So that record's already set. Looks like we're going to have a record year for hospitality tax revenue this really kind of surprises me because we didn't have vaccines at the beginning of this year. No, it's, it, uh, it is surprising. I think kind of the thing I'm most surprised about Van Buren, um, the Van Buren hospitality tax, they have a 1% for lodging and a 1% for prepared food tax. So they have not, I mean, obviously diversified revenue stream because Fort Smith only has their hospitality tax revenue comes only from a 3% hotel tax. The thing with Van Buren, you, I always had a feeling that their tax revenue was not going to just collapse because you still have people eating locally. You don't where you don't have to depend on tourism for that as much. Whereas if you're just depending on a hotel tax, it's a far fewer number of folks that live there are going to be using your hotels than will be eating in your restaurants, even if it's takeout or or curbside for a restaurant. So. And indeed, Van Buren didn't collapse as much in 2019 and 2020. But so far through the first uh, nine months of this year, Van Buren tax revenue is uh, 555000 And that's uh, well ahead of what was 462000 roughly during the same period of last year. Uh, in Fort Smith, their revenue is through September is 723000 that's well above the 485,000 uh, for the same period of last year, and it's even above the 695,000 that they finished out uh, in 2019. So they've already beat the record year of 2019, and they're on pace to hit potentially 950,000 by the end of the year. So um, what we're seeing in, in um, Merrill Purvis, who's the director of Van Buren Advertising Promotion Commission. She really kind of pegged it. She just she said that what this region is seeing is that there are many more travelers that are driving than flying than have in the past. Now we've seen employment numbers increase around the country, 
uh, both at XNA and Fort Smith, but still, um, I just took a driving trip over Thanksgiving. I can tell you that the interstates were packed. So I think the Fort Smith region, uh, Fort Smith and Van Buren are benefiting now from the fact that more people are driving to their destinations than flying. Finally, I want to make sure people know about this series of stories you're doing that's kind of in the in the aftermath of the announcement this past June about 32, in excess of $32 million anonymous donation to the Arkansas Colleges of Health Education. We talked at the time, the potential impact for that. You've got a series of stories that goes deeper into that, including one that's at talkbusiness.net right now. Yes, it's uh, and that's an amazing story. You know, every once in a while, we journalists, we get something that it's really fun. I mean, it's a fun job anyway, I think, but sometimes we get something that's really fun in a challenging way because there are so many elements to it. And when back in June, when the Arkansas College of Health Education announced this $32.3 million donation, I knew right away that there was so much packed into what they wanted to do with that money that we couldn't just cover it in one story. So we have a series of stories. And if you link on the one that's up on the website now, you can link to the others. But essentially, and I'm, I'm, this is probably a fool's errand to try to boil what they're trying to do down into a few sentences, but it's really broadly based health and wellness across almost every socioeconomic sector in the region. And ideally, once they do some of that regional stuff, then they'll have models that can play out anywhere in the country, if not world. Um, the interesting story that we have now, I think, is um, Tina Dale, our reporter, talked to Dr. Lisbon McLean. She's chief wellness officer at ACHE. And she talked about what they're doing, um, some of the programs they're doing that not only address food insecurity um, in the region, and also, I didn't know this in 2019, Fort Smith was identified as a food desert, which means lower income residents, they have to travel more than a mile to access healthy food options. So there's that issue to address. But overall, the address, and this is just one part of the story, but it's, I think, the more interesting part. If you don't have that access and you don't have education behind food, then you end up having non-healthy eating habits, which leads obviously later to other problems that cost society, diabetes, uh, more uh, uh, obesity, on and on, health, uh, heart, or excuse me, high blood pressure. So if you can address those early on and, and provide food education and help people establish healthy eating habits and healthy eating routines, you can significantly, especially if you catch people at a younger age, significantly change their outcomes and the uh, health outcomes for a region. So that's what they're doing. There's a lot more detail in the story. And so I would encourage folks that are interested in that uh, to read that. And we hope to have more reporting on this uh, in the next several months. You know, I think you and I have talked about this before, but the first time I ever talked to Kyle Parker years ago when the ACHE was just kind of getting going, and and, and I, I was impressed with him, and he had these sort of grand ideas of how this could make a difference in Arkansas and the region. And by gosh, Michael, a lot of it is apparently uh, on track. Well, not only is it on track, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to be part of the Kyle Parker fan club here, but um, <laughs> not not only is it on track, but it's gone beyond what he even eventually hinted at. I've told folks before that I initially said that Kyle Parker has a thirty thousand foot view of of some health things for the region. 
And I think I was wrong. I think it's more of a 90,000 foot view of, of what needs to happen. And he, what's interesting about him is he, he will do these things, get something like this started. Uh, and then he just hands it over. He doesn't have to just control ownership. He hands it off to smart people he's hired. And then he goes on to the next big project. So I, I will be surprised if this $32 million donation is the, is the last big thing out of, out of Kyle Parker and uh, colleges of health education. Kyle Parker, of course, the president and CEO of the ACHE. Michael yep. Tilly yep. is with Talk Business and Politics, joins us most Fridays. Michael, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, sir. Always a pleasure. Walton Arts Center presents a special holiday concert by Asleep at the Wheel, Wednesday, December 8th at 7 p.m. Celebrating their 50th anniversary, Asleep at the Wheel is a 10-time Grammy Award winner with frontman Ray Benson. Hits include On Route 66, Choo Choo Chaboogie, and more. WaltonArtsCenter.org or 443-5600 for tickets. KUAF is supported by TC Screen Printing and Apparel and the Arkansas Shirt Club, offering a subscription-based monthly mail delivery of Arkansas-themed T-shirts celebrating the good people, outdoors, and places called home. Subscription information and more available at ArkansasShirtClub.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Twenty years ago, Tom Merringer bought a machine press, took it home to West Fork, and made a coin. That hobby turned into a partnership with one of the world's most renowned fantasy authors, and now his family runs and operates their very own Mint. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore went to the warehouse, and he brings us this report. Just off West Main Street in West Fork sits a building with a round green entry, home to a coin manufacturing facility called Shire Post Mint. We're greeted at the door by the Marringer siblings. Helen is the CEO, and Woody, the operations manager. The Mint started 20 years ago as a hobby and passion project by the Marringer patriarch, Tom. Here's Helen. He was a big Lord of the Rings fan, did metalworking for a long time. He actually used to make knives and swords, um, but transitioned into coin making when he found this antique coin press. Just made a coin for himself because he wanted it and thought it was cool. Uh, Showed it to some people online and they wanted a coin of their own. Eventually, Tom came to love another fantasy novel, A Song of Ice and Fire, and befriended the author, George R.R. Martin, which, of course, was adapted into the wildly popular HBO show, Game of Thrones. The popularity of Game of Thrones definitely grew the business from our dad, you know, selling a coin a week to needing to quit his job and hiring my brother to help with the shop. And then I came on to help with sales. And yeah, it's just blossomed since then. A critical moment of the relationship between Tom and George R.R. Martin was when it came to HBO purchasing the rights to use for merchandising for the show. And he really stuck up for us um, in talks with HBO. They wanted to purchase all of the licensing rights, and he said no. He said, these are my coin guys. So we're the only people in the world licensed to make Game of Thrones coins. HBO actually has purchased coins from us to resell. But let's back up for a minute. If you're not a connoisseur of the TV show How It's Made, the process of making a coin can be a little esoteric. So let's enter the warehouse and walk through it. Right when we walk in, we're greeted by the OG coin press. Here's Helen again. Yeah, so this is actually 
press number one. This is the, the press that started it all that our dad found in a garage in Ohio. And the way he tells the story, they opened the garage door and beams of light shone right on it. And it was, you know, the heavens opened. And <laughs> uh, then, then the press came home. And Mechanically, this press is quite simple. Here's what he so basically, you put two dies with a blank in between, and then this just comes and smashes it with about 40 tons, which is, you know, about the same amount of 20 cars stacked on top of each other. Wow. But, you know, it just comes down and just smacks. The machine is all analog, no electricity necessary. There's a flywheel that you spin, gravity does its job, and voila, you have your coin. These days, Shower Post Mint has more modern machines that use hydraulic pressure and can make the coins much faster. Woody walks us through the process on one of their standard coin presses. So, you know, here's, here's the blank, and here's the machine starting up, which is pretty quiet for radio. And this goes in here, and then we'll push a foot pedal. And then it makes the coins. Yeah. Woody says they can make anywhere between 30 to 40,000 coins a month with their current production. And when it comes to the material coins are made out of, there's a lot of options. You know, historically, coins were the value of the metal. So silver and copper. Uh, there was a lot of bronze that was made because it's an easy alloy to make. So we use a lot of copper, we use a lot of bronze. In addition to making metallic coins, they also use more unique solids as well, including old used bowling balls. So, you know, the bowling alleys end up with bad ones. And, you know, if it has a big crack in it, I don't care. Right. And so I'll, so I'll stop by there, yard sales, Goodwill. Fun fact about old bowling balls, though. Many of them have asbestos in their core, which means that Woody does asbestos testing on every single ball he gets just to be safe. Um, Boeing used to sell it to Ebonite, which put it in the core of their bowling balls just to get rid of it. Don't worry, though. The coins made of bowling balls are safe and unique. One of the biggest takeaways from this story is learning about the distinct sounds of the different coins. When you think about coins, if you're like me, your first thought is probably imagining a quarter. You know what that feels like, how it spins on a desk, what it sounds like when it hits a concrete floor, but... The beauty of having a shop with nearly 300 different kinds of coins is, well, like 300 different kinds of sounds. It's a radio show, folks. Of course we grabbed a bunch of coins and dropped them on the floor in front of a microphone. Right, yeah, so the ones that Woody was talking about. Yeah, maybe the thickness of a dime, but a little smaller diameter. diameter. Yeah. Lovely and tinkly. All right, which one should we do next? The, the cut pizza. Oh, wow. So this one doesn't tingle. Y'all, they make coins that look a like red. a pizza not, with slices, thin, like a, a pizza box, like the whole pizza. aesthetic. Yeah, so one of, one of the coins we were talking about was uh, we had made a cutting tool to make a breakable coin. And like our first thought was like, well, we need to make a pizza because it's the same cut as a pizza. So we made a pizza coin and then we, we chop it so you can break it apart into pieces. And then we also sell the pieces of pizza. Mm -hmm. 
And it comes in a little miniature pizza box. So this is a the Lion of Conan the Barbarian. Really chunky brass. out pretty good too like when they hit mm -hmm. like when they hit the concrete floor yeah and part of that's the the shape of this it has a real thick rim but a thin center mm -hmm. and so it, it can just vibrate better right and so normally a thick coin doesn't vibrate and ring um but you know you can, you can drop this one or flip it and it you know it sounds real nice my personal favorite of the coins was what they call a worry coin so one side is a laser engraved 3D geometrical pattern that has a good grip. On the other side, it's just a hammered smooth surface. And so, you know, people have these just carry around in their pocket and just kind of have it to rub every once in this a while. Be, I need one of these. The people at Shire Post Mint do it all from the engraving, the production, the packaging. Lots of thought and care goes into creating the perfect coin for you. Whether it's Jareth's face from Labyrinth or a piece of pizza. It's real minor details, but we try to make them all happen. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. You can share any story or interview you hear on our program. We have links at ozarksatlarge.com that let you send any piece of our show through email or social media. Patty Lapone is back on Broadway in Stephen Sondheim's company. You're welcome to the show, but for the love of Lapone, would you put down your phone? What's the problem with putting everything down for two hours? Giving yourself over to the event. That conversation, plus the latest on the House Committee's investigation into the January 6th attack on the Capitol, and all the news Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition, tomorrow morning from 7 to 9 on KUAF. You can listen to KUAF anytime, anywhere with the KUAF app. This is Ozarks at Large. Sherry White, a longtime resident of Eureka Springs and a retired print and broadcast writer, is celebrating her first children's book, Seven Lucky Bunnies and the Magic Muffin Dance. Okay, the story is seven lucky bunnies who think there's a recipe for magic muffins are there they are told there is and they make all these muffins to sell at the bake sale to raise money for their tiny library and after the muffins are made they realize they forgot to put in the magic or did they you'll have to read it to find out illustrated by fayville artist christina smith white says the book is the product of myriad magical encounters it also contains a recipe for magic muffins as well as a CD of two children's songs composed and performed by the late Christy Simpson. Well, they dance in a circle and they dance in a square. They dance with all four feet in the air. They dance in a line and they dance in a heap. They dance with all their hearts and then they White says all proceeds from production and sales of her self-published book will be donated to help fund construction of a new public library in Berryville. She'll be signing copies of Seven Lucky Bunnies and the Magic Muffin Dance tomorrow in Eureka Springs. Yes, the uh, Storymaker Book Fair, uh, the Writers' Colony at Dairy Hollow, is hosting it at the Eureka Springs Community Center, and it's on Saturday, December 4th from 10 to 2, and we will have the Magic Muffin 
maybe some magic muffins, but for sure we will have the books there, uh, along with 10 other local artists, uh, writers, and their books. Other authors on hand include John Tuhawks, Woody Barlow, Leanne Crisp, Sean Fitzgibbon, Peggy Perry Hill, Keith Scales, Zeke Taylor, and Charles Templeton. Seven Lucky Bunnies in the Magic Muffin Dance is also available for order online from the Berryville Public Library and at the back porch on the Berryville Square. And speaking of the Berryville Public Library, it's hosting a Christmas cheer challenge this month to raise $10,000 for the new library fund. Two Secret Santas are matching $1 for every good deed done or holiday movie watched. This is Ozarks at Large. In the background is the Joe Finn Trio Plus One playing a Charlie Parker tune, and I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz. We'll hear more from Joe Finn as well as music from Samara Joy, Dave Stryker and the WDR Big Band, Vic Juris, and much more. Tune in to Shades of Jazz every Friday and Saturday right here on KUAF. This is Ozarks at Large, and after a couple of weeks apart, I'm happy to say that Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, is back with Ozarks at Large this Friday. Happy December, Becca. Oh, gosh, I thought we were busy before we went our separate (laughs) ways for Thanksgiving. I was wrong. Plenty to do. (laughs) So wrong. Because now it's crazy, and it's pretty much all holiday all the time, and honestly... I can't remember when I've been more in the mood for this. It's, yeah, I I would agree with you. I am too. Let's do this thing because I've got something for you every day this weekend. Start at 530 tonight to go to the holiday art sale. This used to be what was called the Block Street Art Sale, and now it's at 545 West Center Street. Some of the artisans are used to, some new ones, fine art, ceramics, jewelry, art glass. It starts at 5.30 today, 10 to 4 tomorrow, and noon to 4 on Sunday. At 6 o'clock, you can, I don't if you can teleport, at 6 o'clock, you can be at the Christmas parade in Eureka Springs. And, you know, Eureka Springs, I think, is the parade capital of northwest Arkansas. They seemingly, before the pandemic, had a parade for almost everything. I'm pretty sure that they come in a close second to New Orleans. Per capita, they may be first. They may. This year's theme is the cinematic Christmas, so that'll be fun. Or you can go to the Rogers Christmas Parade at 7 in downtown Rogers. That's also tonight? That's also tonight. So you can't do both? No. Or you can go to a Christmas Carol, the Theater Squared original script by Amy Herzberg and Bob Ford. Let me just tell you, even if you don't like live theater, the set for this is so stunning It's worth going just to immerse yourself in the set. And this is at the Fayetteville Public Library. It is. And the set is a library. And the show is so much fun. And it's at 7 o'clock Tuesday through Saturday and 2 o'clock on Saturday and Sunday. Starting today through December 26th, tickets start at $10 and it's in the big shiny new event center at the Fayetteville Public Library. Or you can go to the Walton Art Center and see Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. 8 o'clock today, 2 and 8 tomorrow, 2 on Sunday. Tickets start at $41. And then it's Saturday. <laughs> Doors open at 8 a.m. at the Highlands United Methodist Church in Bella Vista for their annual cookie walk back after a pandemic-forced absence last year. 
they have people that make like 10,000 homemade cookies. You pay $12 for a container, and you may have all the cookies you can put into that container. Now, they're going to do it in small increments of people, so there's not 40 people trying to snag cookies at the same time. Sure. But it raises funds for their local ministries to women and children, and they'll also have soup to go, and they'll have a coffee shop, and they'll have a Christmas gift shop. And they're very nice ladies at the Highlands United Methodist Church. $12 per container of cookies. The best recommendation I heard was, when you get home, take them out of the container or they become one big cookie. (laughs) Right. Rogers Historical Museum is hosting their holiday open house from 10 to 4 tomorrow. The theme is a patriotic Christmas, and there will be tours of the Hawkins House. There's a studio open house at Denise and Rich Lanuti's house at 623 East Rock Street in Fayetteville from 10 to 5 tomorrow and Sunday. She makes beautiful glass work. Arkansas Public Theater in Rogers is screening It's a Wonderful Life at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Tickets start at $10. And Wampus Wonderland Holiday Market is tomorrow from 10 to 4 up on Mount Sequoia, 150 North Skyline Drive in Fayetteville with more than a dozen Northwest Arkansas makers, including illustrators and jewelers and knitters and woodworkers, and I see lots of shopping. I uh, yes. And then tomorrow night is the Fort Smith Symphony Christmas Concert. 7 o'clock at the Arc Best Performing Arts Center. Tickets start at $20, and your ticket is good for an after party at the Bakery District afterward. You know what? I still haven't been to the Bakery District. I mean, I'm not traveling much, getting out and doing as many in-person interviews because of, well, you know, but I really got to get right, there. Right, that thing. Yeah. Apparently, it is super cool, and this after-party concept is going over really well for the Fort Smith Symphony, so check that out. And then on Sunday, you can go to a holiday concert at 3 o'clock with the Ozark Bronze Handbell Ensemble at the Fayetteville Public Library, and this, you can do both. Then you can still make it to the Washington County Historical Society holiday event, which includes a sing-along with a choir of living historians and heritage school students from 3 to 5 at Headquarters House Museum in Fayetteville. And then I got to toss in one for midweek. Okay. Asleep at the Wheel is coming to the Walton Arts Center. Right? I mean, they're fantastic. I had a fun conversation with Ray Benson, who is one of the founders who remembers playing in Fayetteville at the Swinging Door. Was it the Swinging Door that had the giant cowboy? Yep, Yep. that's exactly it. I do not remember this, but he remembers playing with bands like Zorro and the Blue Footballs. Oh, boy. And then he casually said, oh, yeah, he was having a meal with Alice Cooper not long ago, and they were talking about, well, Asleep at the Wheel's first big gig Mm -hmm. in 1970 was opening for Alice Cooper. I did not know that. Ha! I've got you on one. Yeah, I did not know that. I have lived my life to know something you didn't know, and there's a little piece of it. (laughs) That's awesome. They have a new album out called Half a Hundred Years. And it's so good. Asking how he felt about that, and he moaned, you know. Yeah. (laughs) But it was a fun conversation, and they would be so fun to see. 7 o'clock on Wednesday, the 8th, at the Walton Arts Center, and tickets start at $21, which is like seeing the Beatles for $21. It's pretty inexpensive. So 
So that ought to keep you busy till next week. <laughs> Becca Martin-Brown is the busy features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, great to have you on the show. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. See you guys next week. For over a decade, KUAF's Giving Tree program has benefited dozens of nonprofits that need our help in all of our communities. But possibly more important than helping bring in donations to these groups, the Giving Tree has raised awareness of so many issues in our area that need our attention. In this season of giving, we're helping out two groups, Peace at Home Family Shelter and the Magdalene Serenity House. We'll be hearing from both all throughout December and ways that you can help out. You can also go to our website, KUAF.com, click on the Giving Tree, and learn how you can directly benefit these groups. The Giving Tree and KUAF Public Radio, local matters. Monday on our show, another update from the journalists at ArkansasCovid.com. An audio trip to December 1968 with Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History and more. Ozarks at Large each weekday at noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF and available for free through our free podcast available through all podcast distributors. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Arkansas Senior Health Insurance Information Program offers free, confidential, unbiased advice for those receiving or about to receive Medicare and the Part D drug plan. Open enrollment runs through December 7th. AR SHIP can help individuals make the correct decision about their health care needs, including the Part D drug plan. Help and information is available at 1-800-224-6330. That's 1-800-224-6330. KUAF is supported by Arcegas, a family-owned and operated coffee roastery with five cafes in downtown and South Fayetteville, including the Mill District on South School, offering seasonal menus, cocktails, state-of-the-art coffee bar, and more. This is Ozarks at Large. Tracy Ray Manus is a sixth-generation Arkansan, a poet and a songwriter. Her latest album, Ozark Daughter, was released in late October. The album was a local effort, recorded at Red Barn Studios in Springdale and finished at Redbeard Sound in Salem Springs. And it features contributions from several local musicians. Recently, Tracy and one of those musicians, mandolin player Ben Bergstrom, sat down with Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis inside the Furman Garner Performance Studio at KUAF to talk about the album and to perform a few songs just for us. So this song is called Tumbleweed. My lonesome tumbleweed mind can't find no place to rest so blow on cold wind blow a body weakens with yearning and a heart is over hard pressed chase me from the trouble I know Blow cold wind Blow Blow 
stubborn bramble heart when you snag your snag heart Okay, so let's just jump into this. Um, I guess, Tracy, start from the beginning. How did you first get into playing and writing music? I started writing music in college. So that's when I picked up guitar. I mean, everybody was playing guitar in college, so it just kind of felt like <laughs> the thing to do. But I love singing, and I've always loved singing since, I mean, I think the first time I sang in front of people, I was like five years old. So I've always loved singing, but I needed, you know, if I was going to write songs, I needed something I wasn't a pianist, so I needed a guitar. I actually, the first stringed instrument I got, it was a gift from my parents, was a mandolin. And for some reason I thought the smaller was less intimidating. I don't know why, but. Smaller, but more strings. Yes, exactly. So I started writing songs in college. Like if you're sitting down to write a song, how do you start versus how do you start with a poem? Well, so first of all, each one comes differently, I find. So if I'm, you know, playing guitar, I just kind of sit down and I start, like, playing, and then I start trying out lyrics over the chords, Mm -hmm. and I just try out lyrics until it works. (laughs) So it's just, I think there's a lot of trial and error in this. For me, there is. Trying something. If it doesn't work, try something else. Yeah. As we were talking earlier, you're a sixth-generation Arkansan. Mm -hmm. Has that influenced or inspired your writing? For sure. Definitely a poetry. A lot of my poetry is about kind of this area of the country and my family. So my University of Arkansas thesis, my graduate thesis, was called Shape Note Singing. Hmm. And that's in reference to my great-grandfather, Willie Manus. He went by Bill. But he would go around to these rural areas in Northwest Arkansas and teach shape note singing. 
So I referenced great-grandparents a lot and my grandparents and poetry. With the music, it's kind of more about the sounds I'm going for. I mean, a lot of the sounds I'm going for are kind of like my grandparents' era, I guess, like 1930s, 1940s kind of feel. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, even a little earlier, 1920s. So I'm thinking about that a lot when I'm trying to evoke a mood in a song. (laughs) If any of my songs can pass as like, oh, I think I've heard that before. That sounds like an old song. I would be like, yeah, that's awesome. Um, That made me feel great. I love dialect um, and colloquialisms and these kinds of things, and some of those appear both in poetry and in my songs as well. Okay. So you recently, back in October, came out with a new album, Ozark Daughter. Tell us a little bit about how, how that album came together. Yeah, so in 2016 and 17, I went through a pretty big heartbreak, and I just had all these songs like in me. Like I just needed to write songs it's funny because I in my head and in my perfect world you know I would have already finished my first book of poems because I would have 2014 finished the thesis you know over 2015 16 17 develop it into my first book or whatever but after you know going through some hard stuff I just really wanted to write songs and that's where I, I gravitated towards and just sort of the old forms you know like you'll hear on the album some bluesy stuff and some folky stuff and some bluegrassy almost stuff and Appalachian Ozarky mountain stuff. And I gravitated to those old forms just because it felt right, you know? Yeah. yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you'd put out a couple albums before this one, mm-hmm. right? How, how was putting this album together different from previous efforts? My first album was Grayshore. And then I did Elegies, and then I did... In 2006, I released a five-song EP. Those first two albums, I worked with Brock Siemens, who's a guy that, if it weren't for him, I probably wouldn't be recording because I think both of us got our feet wet in that world. You know, he was studying engineering, sound engineering, and he had access to (laughs) some recording equipment. So we just went in the studio, and we spent hours and hours just, you know, making music and thinking about the textures of songs and, like, feel the recording and playing with mics and all that stuff. I had a very luxurious beginning of recording. I was like, it's all the time in the world. Like, it doesn't matter, you know. (laughs) And then the five-song EP, 58 Transstar Deluxe, that was released in 2006, we recorded in one day, just, like, live. And that was a lot, actually. That day was a long day, but it was really good. And it worked, and I'm happy with it. And then this album, so Ozark Daughter... 2021, it's time. The time has come. It's time for some new music. But we worked with Jason Miller at Red Barn Studio in Springdale. He's great. And so originally we had conceived of it as sort of a trio, just myself, Ben on mandolin and vocals, and then David Farley on dobro. That's how we had practiced. And I knew that that had to be the core of it. For whatever reason, just had to be the, the three of us. And then we went to the studio, and we actually recorded all of that live, playing instruments and singing at the same time. And then we listened back to it and sort of decided, okay, maybe maybe we add some things. So it felt it actually felt a little bit backwards, got it kind of inverted a little bit there. But I'm still I'm really happy with how it turned out. I think COVID mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, uh, nobody wants to talk about COVID anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh. But it definitely set us back. So I yeah. received the Artist 360 grant in 2019 and was hoping to release the record in 2020, like record it and release it. Mm. 
But then COVID happened, as we all know. And so 2020 was a wash, like nothing happened. There was, I don't think there was any recording. And so we had to pick it back up in 2021. Despite that, I feel like it's pretty cohesive. Like it feels to me like it all took place within the same amount of time. (laughs) This album was also a collaboration of sorts. I mean, you got help from a lot of friends Mm -hmm. in the community. How how did you convince people to be a part of this? (laughs) How did you get them interested in being a part of it? Well, first of all, Ben Bergstrom and David Farley had been playing together a lot in the Sons of Otis Malone, which is Mm -hmm. one of my favorite bands. So they they already had this synergy happening and this like way of relating musically to each other that was really special. And so I was just like, if I can tap into that, <laughs> then my album's gonna be awesome. <laughs> and so we just started getting together at my house in my little bungalow and playing in the living room and I thought it sounded really good. They they just added so much to the songs. So the songs themselves are really quite simple, which is mostly intentional. <laughs> But it really needed some different textures, not just me, you know, singing and playing guitar. Yeah. So having them as part of it was necessary. I don't think I would have tried to record an album without them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, convincing them. <laughs> it, didn't take any, it didn't take any convincing. <laughs> I mean, we're all pals and have been playing music around each other and with each other for many years. So when Tracy, you know approached us with new songs uh, it was there wasn't any convincing necessary and we just thought they were really good songs and you know things when we were playing together and arranging it was kind of just shaping into things we were all really excited about and happy with so it was yeah it was just really fun to be a part of it I mean and yeah a couple of these songs we'd sort of played either in living rooms or in other scenarios like all the way back to, I don't know, 2011, 13, that wow. kind of Greyhound thing. Greyhound bus, so specifically. That's some, the some stuff that, yeah, I don't know. We already had some some history with and some, some good vibes. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like you were coming into new songs that you'd never heard before and had to come up with oh, an I'd embellishment. Say many of them were brand new that we hadn't heard before. We were just as pleased with those as the ones we were familiar with. Yeah. yeah. How did you kind of find a sound that was complementary to these songs that were there, you know, coming in and adding your parts to it. Yeah, that's the magic of music. And with folk music, like Tracy was saying, there are simple structures that you work within. And so in the simplicity, you just try to play. I try to approach with reservation uh, overall, just complementary sounds, you know. Um, I think the heart of... The music are the songs, you know, the stories that are happening. So we just, I think David, I could speak for him too, and I, we both try to just kind of lay back, be complimentary to the songs, make pretty sounds, and uh, hope for the best. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Sit it out. (laughs) Yeah. So the album is out now. You released it in October. Mm -hmm. Um, where, Where can people find it? Okay, so... Right now, it is available for digital download at ozarkdaughter.com. It will be soon streaming everywhere, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, and will be available like on Amazon and all the places, all the other places. I have CDs in the works right now, so I ordered them like last night. <laughs> so those are coming, and then I would like to cut some vinyl as well. I'll probably do a really small run of, of vinyl, but that's been a dream of mine is to have my own mm-hmm. vinyl record. 
So I think I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> well, it feels different to hold the music in your hand if it's a vinyl rather than a CD or anything else. For sure. It does feel substantial. I think you said that earlier. Like, it feels mm -hmm. like, yeah, really substantial. All right. Well, Tracy, Ben, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Oh, Tim, thank thanks you. very much. Of course. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Swing me high, swing me low. Tell me what is that you see? When you turn those brown eyes on me There are things a man cannot know And sorrows a woman don't show Swing me high, swing me low Never Was Tracy Ray Manus, vocals and guitar, and Ben Bergstrom, vocals and mandolin. The new album, Ozark Daughter, out now. You can find it and more about Tracy and her music at ozarkdaughter.com. While they were in the studio, they also performed another song. We'll hear that Sunday morning on Weekend Ozarks at Large. That's Sunday morning at 9 on KUAF. Theater Squared presents Marie and Rosetta, a celebration of gospel, rhythm, blues, and rock. Sister Rosetta Tharp, an Arkansas native, is at her first rehearsal with a young protege, Marie Knight, preparing for the tour that would establish them as one of the great duos in music history. On stage and streaming through December 12th. 
877-7477 or theater2.org for tickets and information. Aurora, Arkansas Statewide Organ and Tissue Recovery and Registry Agency, is a lifeline for the 100,000-plus Americans and 300-plus Arkansans waiting for an organ transplant. The simple act of registering to become an organ and tissue donor is available at the DMV, online at aurora.org, and on smartphone health apps. A-R-O-R-A dot org for more information. It's time for the annual KUAF and Friends Holiday Giveaway, your chance to win a gift from one of many generous KUAF underwriters. Participants include Pack Rat Outdoor Center, Community Creative Center, Westwood Gardens, and more. Winners announced on Friday, December 10th during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. Details and registration available at KUAF.com. This is KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Lavaca. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Today's show, produced by Timothy Dennis. Contributors today included Timothy Dennis, Matthew Moore, Michael Tilley, and Becca Martin-Brown. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich provided the information and sound about the Seven Lucky Bunnies book by Sherry White. We'll be back with you Sunday morning at 9 for Weekend Ozarks at Large. And we'll start a new week of daily shows Monday at noon on KUAF. Don't forget, we're available as a podcast. Subscriptions, downloads free through any major podcast distributor. From the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellums. Please take care of yourself. Have a safe weekend. We'll talk again soon.